Who comes to mind when you think of somebody who's successful? You don't have to shout it out, but often when we think of success, we think of someone who's famous, athletes, successful business people, people with money, climb the corporate ladder. We think, oh, that person is successful. But when it comes to the Lord, that's not how he sees success. He doesn't see success the way the world sees success. And being part of this world, we can get sucked into that mindset. You know what success means to God? Faithfulness. That you and I are faithful to the life he's given us. We're faithful to the people that he's put in our life. We're faithful to our community. That faithfulness is success to God. And when I think of faithfulness, I think of Pastor Russ' phrase. Um, If you don't know Pastor Russ, mentor of mine and and others, he graduated to uh, the cloud of witnesses uh, just a year ago. He was, uh, he, he got sick and passed away after a mission trip, but the year is a year ago. It was the anniversary of his, his graduation. And um, he's been with Jesus. But I, I think of his faithfulness to the call on his life. And I want to be like that. People revered him in other countries. He didn't want to be revered. He just was always giving God all the credit and just doing what God called him to do. And that's what he calls us to do. You don't have to be a missionary, a pastor, or whatever to be faithful to God. That God wants you to be faithful in the sphere of influence that he's put in your life. So two weeks ago, we started this new series, Living by Faith. And I kicked it off with kind of a general thing about what does it mean to live by faith? Because going into this new year, I think a new season for our church, we need faith. We need to grow. We need to seek God for what he has moving forward individually and corporately. And then last week, Joel talked about daring faith, and I got to watch that. And I know we had to punt a little with him filming, but it all worked, and God anointed it, and it was, it was a blessing. So today we're talking about honoring faith, a faith that honors God in our faithfulness, because when you see the word faith, think of faithfulness as well. It's not a feeling, it's, it's an attitude of our heart. Somebody said that that the greatest tragedy in life is not death, but a wasted life. A wasted life. How can we waste our life? Well, when we get caught up in trivial things and we're not faithful to our sphere of influence that God has put us in, that's how we waste our life. But when we're faithful, you live a life without regret. You never hear anybody on their deathbed saying, I wish I would have worked more. I wish I would have watched more YouTube or, or spent more time on Facebook or, or whatever. No, it's always, I wish I had more time with my loved ones. I wish I would have done more for the cause of Christ. That's the kind of thing. And God, I, I, you know, as your friend, as your pastor, I've sensed a, a deep, deep uh, conviction in my spirit to call it out of us that we will not live a life of regret that the past is in the past, all things have been made new, and we're each individually and as a community, we're going to live life without regret. We're going to live a life that's wholehearted devotion to Jesus. And that does not mean perfection, because we all fail. 
It's an attitude of our heart. To honor somebody is to regard with great respect. To regard with great respect. And we were talking about waste and wasting a life. One of the things, that, one of the only things I do not like about the Dominican Republic is it's a beautiful people, a beautiful country, but they throw their trash just on the street. Every, every city, every village, there's just piles of trash and waste. And you, you, you see that and you think, how? Where didn't somebody just come by and say, hey, we're not doing this anymore. We're not going to just throw our trash there. I think about that. I think about, man, let's don't be like that in our life. Let's don't have a wasteful life. Let's, you know, from the young and old in here and watching online, spend our life on what matters most to Jesus. You will live without regret when you do that. That's, that is the remedy to a life without regret. You honor God with your time your talent, and your treasure. God's given us a certain amount of time. He's given us a certain amount of talents. And he's given us treasure. And he wants us to honor him by being generous with our time, talent, and our treasure. And as I was putting this together this week and praying over it, the question hit me. Why does God not always get my very best? Why does he not always get your very best? What blocks us from that? And I think it's often we get deceived, little lies about God, about ourselves, about others, about what's most important. And I believe God wants to shake the apathy off of his church. And we're part of his church. Uh, COVID and lockdowns and all kinds of things has caused there to become an, be an apathetic when it comes to gathering together with with one another. And it's, it's part of the call is we're not to forsake the fellowship. We're to, we're to meet together, worship together, s- stoke that corporate fire individually for what God wants for each one of our lives. So this is not the time to pull back. This is the time to press forward and to press on into all that the Lord has for you and for you and I. So as you're, as you're listening to the message this morning, one of the things I felt prompted was who is not getting the best of your life? A spouse, family, friendships, community, church. Who's not getting the best? Because you honor God by giving your best. Not perfection, but by saying, Lord, I'm going to give you the first of my life. So I chose a passage out of Second Timothy to be my text for honoring faith today. And Paul's writing his young protege, Timothy, and he's encouraging him how to pastor, how to lead, and how to live a life that honors God. He says, Timothy, my dear son, be strong through the grace that God gives you in Christ Jesus. You have heard me teach things that have been confirmed by many reliable witnesses. Now teach these truths to other trustworthy people who will be able to pass them on to others. Endure suffering along with me uh, as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Soldiers don't get tied up in the affairs of civilian life, for then they cannot police the officer, they cannot please the officer who enlisted them. And athletes cannot win the prize unless they follow the rules. And hardworking farmers should be the first to enjoy 
the fruits of their labor. Think about what I'm saying. The Lord will help you understand all these things. So we honor God when we give him the very best. We, we showing him the utmost respect and awe when we give him the best of our lives. That's a, a thing you see throughout the Old Testament was they would give God the first fruit of their crops and their livestock. They would give from the very best. And it was a way of, of the children of Israel to learn that it was all God's to start with and that God could be trusted. He could be trusted to multiply and that they were dependent upon God for provision. I was reading last week and was reminded in the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000. If you remember that, all these people are are listening to Jesus, following him. There's over 5,000 people. And Jesus turns to his disciples and he says, these people are famished. They're hungry. Give them something to eat. And they look at each other like, Dude, there's 5,000 people here. Like it would take a year's wage to feed all these people. And Jesus says, bring me what you have. If you know the story, they brought him five loaves and two fish. Jesus multiplies it, does the miracle. Every person is filled to the brim, stuffed, picking their teeth, (laughs) you know, just rubbing their bellies. And it says in there, and this is not a coincidence, that there were 12 full baskets of food left over. How many disciples were there? 12. Jesus is showing his disciples, you put into my hands what you have, what I've already given you, and I'll multiply it and there'll always be plenty left over for you guys. That was a valuable, valuable lesson for the disciples to remember that. So it's not... Giving God our best is not legalism. It's not a checklist. I I prayed, I read my Bible, I helped a little old lady across the street. It's not a checklist. It is an inner disposition of our heart, a posture. God, I want you to have the best of my life. And all my failures and all my stupidity at times, Lord, I still want to give you the best of my life. So let's look at the three examples that Paul gave us. The first one is the example of a soldier. The example of a soldier. Many of you know our oldest daughter, Chase, is in the Navy, and she's coming up on four years in March, and, you know, she shocked us when she told us, oh, hey, by the way, I need to swing by the house and get my high school diploma. Uh, I joined the Navy. Okay, like... Proud of you, but dang, <laughs> you're, you're all a five foot nothing and you're going to be in the Navy. And then she went through boot camp and, and all of that. And, you know, just to, to know that when you swear in, you're, you're saying, I'm willing to put my life on the line for what I'm signing up for here. Carrie, if you would come up here. Like a soldier, this is in your notes, like a soldier, I need to know what I'm willing to die for. You need to know as a soldier... I'm willing to put my life at risk for my country and for, for my friends and my community. And that's what Chase did. Carrie did how many years in the Navy? I did four years and then four years reserve. Yeah. And you were like a gunner. Or I something. was a gunner's mate. Picture her. <laughs> <laughs> it was it. a twin 50 cal. Hey. There were two. Boom. <laughs> I stand corrected. Jack. Um, 
I was talking to Carrie, and as I was putting this together, she came to my mind as, you know, a vet. Many, we have many vets in our, our congregation, and thank you very much for what you've done. Um, but Carrie, I, I, this statement of, like a soldier, I need to know what I'm, I'm willing to die for. If we're going to follow this example, like Paul says, endure hardship, like a soldier, like when did it click for you that you were putting your life, this was no joke, this was, you were really putting your life on the line for what you were signing up for? I was, I was really doing it. You know, Scott asked me this question earlier this week, and it's something that I always knew the answer to, but I've, I've never shared it because nobody ever asked. So for me, it was um, in boot camp, and boot camp is eight weeks long. Uh, give or take processing days, you're there for about 10 weeks, and it's actually the last like two or three days of boot camp that I really recognized what I was doing. And the last couple days of boot camp, you go through what's called uh, battle stations, battle stations 21, and for two and a half days, you're awake, and you are running through these evolutions that you potentially may see in the fleet. And you step on board of this massive simulator, it's a 210-foot-long 210 um, Allie Burt-class destroyer, and you and your shipmates, your boot camp shipmates, are going to do everything to keep this ship afloat while all of your uh, commanding officers and, and your you know, recruit division commanders are doing everything they can to sink it. But they do it live. So when they simulated a torpedo hitting the side of this simulator, you actually took on water. And they let it get deep. And you start to question, well, are they going to turn this off? Like, we're, like, this is getting high. This, and you're shoring up, and you're using wood, and you're doing all these things. And in that time, one of your shipmates goes missing. And, you, and suddenly you're down a person. You don't know where they are. Well, they've taken that shipmate, and they've put them in another compartment, another compartment that has been just annihilated. The walls have come in. It's black. There's smoke coming in. They even pump in the smell of diesel fuel. Like, you are under attack. This is no joke. And you have to find your shipmate. And you finally get to them, and you pull them out, and you recognize, my goodness, that's Burnett. Like, I know her. I've been marching with her. And you're wet, and your uniform is dirty, and you have to now haul this person up out, and you have to pass a clock on the wall. And the clock is set to a time that the USS Cole took a suicide bomber on the side. And 17 shipmates died. And you're pulling one of your buddies out. And you get out, and of course it's simulated, and everyone's fine, but you're trashed. I mean, you, you're never wearing this uniform again, and you have a hat on that just says recruit. And they pack you into a perfect square marching division, and you march down the middle of boot camp. And all the new guys are like, wow, they just did battle stations. And the people that graduated before you are like, wow, they're headed to the fleet. And you're marched to a capping ceremony where you take off your recruit hat, and you put on a hat that says Navy, and you swear in, and you just swear to defend the Constitution against enemies foreign and domestic. And so you physically have done this, you physically saved one of your shipmates, like, gosh, that could have been me, and now you've said the words, and the, you buckle. The tears are unreal. Some of the most stoic, like, push-up champions in boot camp are just bawling. There's just, they can't believe that they've done it. But when you, even in a simulator, when you rescue somebody, you think, my goodness, that's going to be the fleet. That could be me. And I may not get out. Hmm. And then they send you to the fleet. 
you know, as a soldier, as a, you know, a shipmate, if you don't give your very best, somebody's going to lose, something's going to happen if you don't. And, and so when we're talking about this spiritually, when we give God our best, we're helping others. So thank you very much, Carrie. Jesus said, there is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. No greater love. You know what? He did that for us. He modeled that. Jesus laid down his life for us and now calls us friends. So like a soldier as well, I need to sacrifice. I need to sacrifice. Soldiers sacrifice comfort. They sacrifice convenience, free schedules, do what you want to when you feel like doing it. There's a, there's a sacrifice that happens. Joey's here today. Joey, give me one of these. Joey was in the Marines and he got deployed to Afghanistan years ago and knows what that feels like to be away from lonely, family, the elements of Afghanistan. <laughs> Uh, just the, the thought of what you're there for, like, you know, thank you for doing that because that's, you, you sacrifice comfort and convenience and free schedules to take on hardships. No one joins the military to get rich, right? You don't get wealthy in the military. So like a soldier, we sacrifice. Paul says this to the Ephesians. He says, live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us, and he offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. Mark, Bullion, will you stand up? Tom and Sheena, will you stand up? Carrie, will you stand up? These are our youth leaders. They're on the front line every Sunday. Being around teenagers all week long on the trip, and you realize the world that teenagers are growing up in right now, and I thank God for you guys. Thank you for sacrificing your comfort and your convenience for the betterment of our youth. And anybody else? Stacy, no? Okay, never mind. She went, no. I'm done. She, she, she turned and she's done, her tour. Thank you guys for what you do. Thank you. And Becky, thank you. Is Becky in here? I think I see her. She's better looking than you are. So he said, endure suffering along with me as a good soldier. We're not going to do great things unless we're willing to sacrifice. And I don't mean doing great things for God so that we get notoriety for it. I mean being part and participating with God and what he's doing in the world. There's nothing like it to be able to participate with God in that. Living a life of sacrifice is not easy, but it's worth it. It's always worth it. What's following Christ making difficult for you in life? Where is following Jesus potentially making life difficult for you? Because that's a good thing. That means we're probably wholeheartedly following him if there's some difficulties. If there is somebody wants you to do some sort of shady business thing and you say, no, I follow Jesus. I'm, I'm not going to take a shortcut. I'm not going to cheat. 
I'm not going to lie. I'm going to put Jesus first. Somewhere in our lives, there's a you know, small amount of persecution or whatever where we're not going with the crowd. We're following Jesus. And I know for students, that can be very difficult. When you're young, and the crowd wants to go this way. And you say, no, I'm not doing that. I'm with Jesus. I was thinking about, in the, I think it was in the 1950s, there was a group of five men, graduated Bible college, and they wanted to bring the gospel to an unreached people group in Ecuador. There was a Ecuadorian Indians that had never heard the gospel. Jim Elliott, have you, have you ever seen or read the book, The End of the Spear, is a movie about their life and what happened. So these five guys had a plane and they would fly over this Ecuadorian Indian village and they would drop gifts, food. They were trying to build a bridge to these, this people group. And then they had like a loudspeaker and they were trying to speak in their language a little bit. And these people had never seen a white person before. So they, they landed and they made camp about a mile outside of this village. And one day the warrior Indians came to them and they thought they were going to have this great time of sharing the gospel when all five of them were murdered by a spear. They'd killed them all and thought, okay, their sacrifice is in vain. Nothing good happened from this. Well, later, months later, years later, their wives, in particular Elizabeth Elliot, who was married to Jim Elliot, um, they decided that they were going to go back and finish the work that had begun, that that sacrifice of their husband's lives was not going to be in vain. So they actually went back to the murderers of their husband, these warriors that had killed, killed their husbands, and shared the gospel. And, and Elizabeth actually looked Minkeah, who's the guy that killed her husband, in the eye and said, I forgive you. I forgive you because of who Jesus is, and here's the gospel. And he started crying like a little baby. And they all came to faith in Jesus. The whole village came to faith in Jesus. Minkeah, I don't know if he's still alive, but up till recently was going on tours sharing his story of how he came to Jesus. So that sacrifice, it's, you don't see it in the moment, especially in a tragedy like that, but God's always on the job. He's always working things for good. Minkeah and his tribe came to Christ because someone was willing to sacrifice. And then thirdly, like a soldier, I need to eliminate distractions. A soldier never gets to say, yeah, I'm busy right now. Um, I'll, I'll get to that tomorrow, boss. Does that happen, Joey, in the military? <laughs> no. You get, boom. So you got to eliminate distractions. If we're going to be like a soldier, give our very best of our life, we got to recognize there are distractions in our everyday life. He says, soldiers don't get tied up in the affairs of civilian life, for then they cannot please the officer who enlisted them. Let me give you a surefire way to eliminate distractions in your life and to give God your very best every day. Trust me on this. If you and I will stay focused on what is most important to Jesus, we'll live a life without regret. And it's not going to the ends of the earth. You might be called to that. It's not becoming a 
vocational minister or any of that. It is being faithful to the people God has put in your life. Your spouse, your kids, your grandkids, your friends, your church, your community. Be faithful and make sure people are getting your very best. Second example is that of an athlete. The example of an athlete, Paul says. He says, follow the example of a soldier and then that of an athlete. He writes the church in Corinth. He says to them, he says, do you not know that those who run a race, they all run, but only one receives the prize. Run in such a way that you may win. Everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. They then do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. Therefore, I run in such a way as not without aim. I box in such a way as not beating the air. But I discipline my body and I make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. So he's using this sports illustration, this athlete. And he's saying, like, run in a way to receive the prize. Not the perishable trophies and and medals and all that that will ultimately perish one day, but the imperishable that comes in the life to come. Now, you will receive benefits in this life for giving God your very best, but it's ultimately in the life to come does He promise to reward us. I can't wait for that day. Let's live for the words of the Lord, well done, good and faithful servant. Well done. Let's live for that. So like an athlete, I need to train to win the prize trained to win the prize. We got a group of people who are getting ready. The Olympic, Winter Olympics start in a couple weeks. How many dig the Winter Olympics? You got skiers and skaters and snowboarders and hockey and this and that and little skeet shooting. That's always kind of cool. They run and they do all the cross-country stuff and they've been training all their lives for this. At minimal the last four years, but they've been training all their lives for that moment to try to win a medal, that moment to try to have a bit of, of glory. But those, even the, a gold medal is going to perish. But what we do, it, the, the prize that we're going to receive cannot perish. And you may think, well, what is that? Well, Paul tells us what it is in Philippians 3.14. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Guess what the prize is? You and I become like Jesus. Jesus is the only person to ever be fully human in the sense that he laid down his life. He's self-denial, selflessness, humility. How God truly designed humanity to reflect his image is in the person of Jesus. And we are being in this life transformed into the likeness of Jesus. But in the life to come, he's going to make us like him. You're not even going to have the capability of sinning. I mean, like that. I like that. I, I'm good at that right now. I want to not have that even around. There won't be no sickness, no sorrow, because we're going to be in that state of, of perfection. What will be is a done deal. Right now, we're in the process of cooperating and participating with him and becoming like Jesus. He wants us to produce fruit. The inner fruit of the spirit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. 
And he wants us to produce good fruit of, of good deeds for people, loving actions for folks. So these Olympic athletes are training for this moment of glory. How do we train to become like Jesus? That's what he wants us in our training is to become like Jesus. And the first word that comes to mind is <clears throat> the D word, discipline. Anyone's favorite word, discipline? You're good at it? Let's talk if you are. Discipline. It takes discipline. The root of a disciple or the root of discipleship is this word discipline. It doesn't come natural. Discipline is intentional. Discipline is not willpower. Because there are people who are really good at exercising and eating right, but they have no discipline when it comes to their words. You know, all of us are undisciplined in some way in our life. And we need to learn discipline. And it takes, it takes time. Somebody said, the path of regret is always greater than the pain of discipline. The path of regret is greater than the pain of discipline. Discipline at its root is delayed gratification. It's, it's doing the hard thing now to reap the benefit later. So it takes discipline when it comes to getting in shape and eating right. You say no to sugar and blah, 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 and yes to exercise. It takes discipline. When it comes to finances, if you're in debt, it's going to take discipline to not spend more than you make now and to learn how to pay back debt. It's, everything in life is about discipline. Delayed gratification. Discipline takes time. It really does. It takes time. It, it takes time to create good habits. And I think that's really what discipline, spiritual disciplines are about. They're not duty checklists. Hey, God, look, I prayed. Hey, God, I read the Bible. Hey, I went to church. Don't do that. It is tools of growth that God has given us to make us like Jesus. And discipline is creating, replacing bad habits with good habits. Um, I would say probably 90% of us are coffee drinkers. And you probably had your coffee this morning. If not, you're fidgeting and dying and ready for a cup of coffee. But here's the truth. The very first time any of us that drink coffee had a cup of black coffee and you sipped it, you didn't go, oh, wow, this is amazing stuff. Like, where was I? Where was this all my life? No, you, it's bitter. But you kind of like the little buzz that you got. And so... Bring it on. Let's have a couple more. I didn't learn how to drink coffee till Bible school, <laughs> just all day long. So you're, you're, when it comes to disciplines, there's, I think there's four real main disciplines for us as Christ followers that we need to participate in daily, weekly, as a way of life. Number one is prayer. Prayer is talking to God. It's lifting your needs and the needs of others before God. It's a relationship, communication, scripture intake, learning to read the Bible in a way where you see God better, and you see others better, you see life through the lens of Jesus. Um, fellowship is a discipline. Coming together corporately in home groups and in core groups, men, women, all of that is, is, takes discipline 
And when we're together, God uses one another to make us like Jesus. Like we don't do this individually. This is, it's a team thing. And then generosity is a, as a discipline. Generosity with my time, my talent, and my treasure. Those morph us into the likeness of Christ. There are many other disciplines that we could talk about, but those four, prayer, scripture, fellowship, and generosity. Let's make those a habit in our life. It takes, it takes vision to know that the Olympic athletes had a vision of standing on the medal table one day. That's why they worked hard when they didn't feel like getting up at 4 a.m. They didn't feel like eating right. They didn't feel like putting in an extra work. They had a vision for what could be. We're told in Hebrews 12 that, that look at Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Jesus had a vision that in his life he knew he was going to go through suffering He was going to have to go to the cross, the scourging, all that he went through. He did it for the joy set before him, and that was you and I coming to him. You're the joy of Jesus. You are why he endured the cross. If you're feeling down about yourself today, you're feeling your self-esteem needs a boost, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross for you because he loves you perfectly. He gave his life. So we have to have that vision in the difficult times, the, the, the discipline of our lives for what's going to be the reward on the other side. And then last one is the example of a farmer. I hate it when modern Bible teachers, they poo-poo agricultural illustrations in the Bible like farming and livestock and sheep they're like, oh, we need more modern technology illustrations and internet. And I'm like, do you, that, that's hogwash. Like, our spiritual life is nothing like the touch of a button. The internet, I'm going to text you. I need to get on the intraweb. I need to see the Google and the YouTube and all those things. Boom, boom, boom. Don't you wish that your spiritual growth would be like, Lord, give me patience. Boom. Oh, I'm patient. I'm walking through TSA. Hey, go ahead. You go before me. Yell at me all you want to that, that I didn't bring my, my water bottle still with me. And, or go to the motor vehicle department too and just learn patience, right? How to be a loving, endure hardship as a good soldier for Christ. But when it... I don't even know what I was talking about at that point. Oh, <laughs> I'm back. When... You think of spiritual life is growth. It's a seed. It's nurtured, and it takes time, and it takes, it takes patience. You know what a farmer is? A farmer is an investor. A farmer invests the seed into the ground and then invests time and patience to produce a crop. Our life is like planting a garden this side of heaven that gets nurtured and seeds and produces fruit and continues, continues on. So everything we see around us is going to perish except for what's going on inside of us, this garden of your heart. Paul told in his second letter to the Corinthians, he said, remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must each decide in your heart how much to give 
and don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. For God loves a person who gives cheerfully, and God will generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. Think of the 12 baskets. As the scriptures say, they share freely and give generously to the poor. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. For God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. In the same way, he will provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. Yes, you will be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. Catch that, always generous. And he says, and when we take your gifts to those who need them, they will thank God. So two, uh, th- so two good things will result from this ministry of giving. The needs of the believers in Jerusalem will be met, and they will joyfully express their thanks to God. As a result of your ministry, they will give glory to God for your generosity to them and to all the believers will prove that you are obedient to the good news of Christ. Man, you don't need to be a missionary or a pastor or whatever title to be used of God. It's a a spirit of generosity that he wants with your time, talent, and treasure. I heard a guy, I was listening to a teaching, and he said, plant trees whose shade you will not experience. Think about that. You plant something in someone's life that you won't even reap the benefits of it, but the generations to come will reap the benefits of the shade of trees that end up growing. Guys that are doing youth ministry, you're doing it. You're planting trees whose shade you may never even get to experience. So what are the things that we're to invest? I would say this, like a farmer, I need to plant seeds of faith, hope, and love. Faith, hope, and love. Plant seeds of faith, hope, and love. Jesus says in Matthew, in First Jesus, he said, that was a joke in our pre-service, First Jesus, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. We're going to respond to this understanding of giving God our very best, singing the great I am. But as we, before we do that, you know, how do you respond to a message of give God your very best? Okay. (laughs) It's the heart. He's not after outward things. He's after our heart. And when God has our heart, then we want nothing but to give him the very best. So here's my challenge. What lies might we be believing about God that are causing me not to give him my very best? Is there a lie that you can't trust him if you're generous with his stuff? Probably. Well, if I give of my time, what's going to be left over for me? If I give of my talent, what will be left over for me? If I give of of my stuff, what's going to be left over? And that's the 
that's the wrong approach to it. We give not to get. We give knowing, God, I'm a steward of your stuff. There's lies that we believe about ourselves. Sometimes it's easy to fall into this, I feel worthless and unworthy. You know, the truth is, none of us are worthy. That doesn't make you worthless, though. You're worth everything to the Lord. He makes us worthy. He's the worthy one. So as we sing, let's sing in faith and hope and love and say, Lord, as I leave from here today, change me. Let's let that be our our prayer as we sing. Why don't you stand?
with Jesus and what he's called you to do and to be and let's make it our prayer individually and corporately that we would shake off apathy in our walks and we would wholeheartedly walk with him because that's the best life you'll he'll never shortchange you when you give him your very best all he does is just multiply and your time your talent your treasure there's increase in your faith and he wants that so father We receive of your grace upon grace. We receive of your love, your forgiveness, your mercy. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Thank you for one another. Thank you for the scriptures. Thank you for the gazillion blessings that are around us all the time. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.